The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Investors Business Daily installment of Barron's Live. I'm Ali Corum of IBD, along with my colleague, David Saito-Chung. He's Deputy Markets Editor. Dave, first of all, it's great to see you. And today we're going to be focusing on how to find top dividend stocks. You know, to find the best uh, yielders, you got to be looking past past the yield, got to be looking at other factors too. So looking forward to uncovering all of that with you today. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, uh, Ali. And it's great to have the ACDC combo back on IBD Live. I want to thank uh, Crystal and all the great people at Barron's for uh, the second chance to speak uh, to a wonderful audience. Yes. So great to have you back, Dave. So to kick things off, you know, when you think about dividend stocks, a lot of people think about Warren Buffett and his style of trading. So what might we be able to learn from Warren Buffett in our hunt for top dividend stocks? You know, I I think uh, since he had the annual shareholders meeting in in Omaha recently, uh, I I think no conversation about dividends uh, uh, could ever leave Warren Buffett, truly one of the kings of investing in our lifetime. And part of it uh, is the fact that he just knows and has proven to pick great stocks that have survived over the years and increased their dividends. Uh, I've got this uh, Wall Street Journal article that came out by Akane Otani, uh, May 4th, Buffett feasts on dividend paying stocks. And Ali, according to the story, Berkshire Hathaway is expected to reap 5.7 billion in cash dividends from its holdings this year alone. One of those reasons is that back 1994, he completed his investment in Coca-Cola he invested uh, about $1.3 billion. That same year, he received $75 million in cash dividends. You fast forward to 2022, he, uh, his stake in Coca-Cola rose to $25 billion, and he received $704 million in cash dividends from that stock alone. Now, now on t- add on top of that, his big stakes in American Express, in Bank of America, uh, and also more recently, Occidental Petroleum, OXY. And you can see he, he's really uh, proven uh, to be an outstanding stock picker, especially in those that are stable earnings growers that have grown their dividends over time. I think those are some really valuable lessons from, from Buffett and Charlie Munger, uh, his uh, partner in investing. And so in today's show, uh, we're going to add upon that uh, by looking at some IBD screens that highlight those companies that um, have, you know, basically four characteristics of good dividend payers based on our, our research. Exactly, because at IBD, we are typically focused on growth stocks and outperforming the market. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's that's one thing to point out with looking at dividend stocks is if you have a yield of, of 2%, but your stock is falling, 
I mean, what what good is it to have a good dividend yield if your net gain is not that great or, or negative? Exactly. Uh, IBD is all about picking growth stocks, timing the market, finding the optimal buy point and sell point. Dividend investing is definitely different, though. It is a patience game. It is a Warren Buffett game. It's a game where if you have um, the wherewithal to hold great companies with stable earnings, earning stability, a key factor, a dividend yield that's higher than the S&P 500 in general, we are at uh, right now 1.62% on the S&P 500 annualized dividend yield. Companies that also have good relative price strength, just like what you're talking about, you don't want to buy stocks that might have an attractive dividend, but a poor, uh, poor price action in the market. We actually want to find those stocks that have some decent um, strength and have a record of rising in, uh, uh, in price. Uh, and finally, great management and, uh, by the company to innovate, create new products and sustain the earnings that allow them to raise their dividends and also never uh, forfeit their dividend. Because, you know, sometimes maybe during bear markets, we, we, we might be salivating when we see a company that now has a 10%, 12%, 15% yield, but that doesn't mean much if the stock falls 25, 50% and never comes back. Exactly. Yeah. Well, those are four great keys there, Dave, and going to be very helpful for us as we take a look at some screens and a lot of great examples. So speaking of what in your mind is the best model example of a dividend winner? Yeah, you know, I don't know if uh, Buffett ever bought this one and held it for a long time, Allie, but I really want to spend a little time on McDonald's, MCD ticker, Dow Jones Industrial Average stock. And this stock has just been a super winner. Uh, even in the last two decades, as you can see on this IBD Marcus Smith monthly chart that Allie's got there, uh, I remember our team, the market team at IBD, writing about this stock frequently. Uh, during the first half of the 2010s, because it kept popping up on our screen. And if you, uh, and, and for, for the reasons of one, it had a good earning stability factor, which we'll talk about later. Uh, this is a proprietary IBD uh, you know, uh, number that goes from zero to 99. Uh, the stock, as you can tell, has had some uh, amazing stock price performance. And to a company that's you know gone beyond burgers hamburgers i mean it's actually innovated in its own way uh, over the years and has had some really great um, people at the helm as ceo of management so if we if we if we home in a little more uh at the end of 2015 ali you can see that there was a big move uh in the stock uh the blue bars show uh the months or the days or the weeks where the stock is up in price and we paint the volume, the corresponding volume in the same color. You can see in late 2015, that's right, we broke out of a, of a long sideways pattern, which at IBD we call a base. And you can see from there, uh, you had a breakout from around $100 and we're now we've tripled uh, over the past eight years. So of course there are some other big growth stocks that don't pay dividends that have done much better but for a dividend payer that's so stable, this is a fantastic play. And I do remember uh, oftentimes we covering 
this stock in Investors Business Daily um, through the Income Investor column. Also, what's interesting on this, uh, uh, and this year, uh, Allie, in 2015, they were just uh, uh, gung-ho on introducing new products and doing a lot, a lot of things. Some, some of you might remember the year 2015, uh, they got a new CEO. They launched breakfast all day. They expanded their customizable burger menu. They gave the quarter pounder more beef. They switched to butter from margarine in its breakfast sandwiches. And according to a Business Insider article, sales of their breakfast sandwiches exploded. Uh, they also launched a buttermilk crispy chicken sandwich and they launched delivery of their food uh, via uh, Postmates uh, delivery service. So 2015 was a year of great management, execution, innovation that led to stronger earnings, good sales, uh, sales growth, and a rising dividend. So I think as you look for the future McDonald's uh, in, in, as a dividend investor, you want to keep in mind McDonald's as a great uh, example uh, or a, kind of a model stock. Mm -hmm. Well said there, Dave. And I believe Warren Buffett eats McDonald's for breakfast. Uh, so, so I've heard. So uh, now I'm getting hungry, but. So am I, actually. So yeah. That uh, innovation, uh, coupled with all of these other factors, the earnings, that's just the, the formula for success with dividend investing, it seems like. Absolutely. And here again, you can see that the stock has had its periods of sideways action, but you know, every stock is going to bound is going to be bound to correct in price after hitting some new highs. But you notice that the, the the stock has had that amazing ability to make higher highs on a monthly chart, on a weekly chart, and higher lows. One more thing I'd like to point out too is that yes, you look at that blue line, uh, which is the relative strength line. Yeah, at the end of it, you have the relative strength rating of the stock. This means. The relative strength rating for McDonald's is that it's better than 89% of all companies in IBD's stock database over the past 12 months. The, the relative strength line is a blue line that only compares McDonald's with the S&P 500 or another index that you uh, want, to, want to select. And you can see, just like Ali is showing here, there have certainly been periods where uh, if you're a growth investor, you probably would have been disappointed in the way McDonald's acted because it was moving sideways while the market was going higher, the relative strength line was falling. But all in all, you can see that the stock came back uh, and has had a, a generally, uh, a, you know, a super nice long uptrend and the relative strength has had its moments where it hasn't, uh, you know, really gone south and never come back. It's always seemed to manage its way up to new peaks in the relative strength line. That hasn't happened in the past four years, but it looks like the momentum uh, is 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 uh, back in the stock, right, Allie? Mm -hmm. It definitely does. And Dave, that relative strength comparison is not including the dividend yield. It's just uh, the stock price performance. The stock price performance, exactly. So if you've got a company that is giving you a little more dividend yield than the S&P 500, which is currently 1.62, 1.61%, 1 Let's say you're getting two to three percent a year, and you hold that stock for ten years. Uh, so, if you have no capital price appreciation, you've still got twenty to twenty to thirty percent 
return on the cash dividend alone. And I read that Buffett, after he made these huge stakes in American Express uh, and Bank of America and Coca-Cola, he didn't reinvest the dividends into the stock. He just took the cash. He got the income, got the paycheck and put it in the bank. And it makes sense if you're Warren Buffett because you're investing billions. If you've got a younger company and you feel like, oh, I, I want to also increase that potential for capital appreciation, you could go ahead and reinvest those dip dividends. But it also makes sense to just uh, get paid. So mm -hmm. uh, what we like to see is not only at, at IBD, that stable dividend coming in year in, year out, 2 3% dividend yield or more, and uh, that potential for a Coca-Cola, a Mike, um, um, you know, a, a McDonald's type of long-term capital gain. In fact, I think I did a study six, seven years ago of all the companies that we featured in the income investor column, which is available in our newspaper, IBD Weekly or investors.com. And McDonald's, I think in 2016, was one of the top three companies, up 20, 30% year to date. And then on top of that, you've got the dividend. And uh, since then, it's been great. I also want to also uh, mention that, you know, I, I, I take a look at Barron's uh, as well, the weekly newspaper, and I, and I looked at the recently in the market laboratory section, uh, there, there's the Barron's 50 stock average. And currently the actual, according to the paper, the actual year end dividend yield is 2.17%. These were 50 stocks, giant stocks. So that's a pretty good return. Um, they say over the long term, stocks deliver six to eight percent growth for your portfolio a big part of that is dividends so i think the market is where it is two percent uh for quality large cap stocks according to barons um and also i just want to emphasize too there's a nice page in the market laboratory section where they feature the companies that are raising their dividends by how much and you want to be looking for those that have that steady growth in the payment that the size of the payment um, because then if the stock goes up, the dividend you will go down, but if the stock, but, but if the dividend also goes up, then that yield also stays stable at two to 3%. So it's important really to have both. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to look at a few stocks that exemplify that. Yes, we are. Those are some really great points. So I'm going to go back to my screen share and the first screen that we want to look at for potential dividend leader ideas is a custom screen that you built, Dave, in MarketSmith. Yeah, and we... exclusively for everyone on this uh, on yeah. this show. So this is first uh, first ever uh, showing. Great. So let's talk about it. There's just uh, five criteria here. So uh, not all too difficult of a screen to build. So we have earning stability. So that's that proprietary IBD rating that you referred to. So how stable is that growth? And it seems like if you want that uh, stability of the dividend, seems like you need stable earnings too. So uh, an earning stability rating of 10% at a max because the, the highest... Oh. Or sorry, go go ahead. Yeah, let, let me explain. Yeah, this is sure. a, a, a very odd rating because most yep. of our ratings, uh, the higher number, the better. This is one of those rare ratings uh, where the lower, uh, the mm -hmm. better. And it's a factor, so it's not um, a percentage. Uh, basically, if you are 10 or lower, you are in the top 10% 
among all companies in terms of the stability of, yep. of the company's profits uh, year in, year out. So we're going to avoid uh, earning stability factors of 80, 90, 95, because that means the earnings are just swinging back and forth from net losses to big profits, no consistency. And when you have net losses, how are you going to pay a dividend? So that's why we're looking yeah. for the uh, earnings stability factor of 10 or lower. Right. 10 being the highest. So the lower, the better there. And then current year earnings, we want growth of at least 10%. Current stock price above at or above $20. Yield 2%, as you mentioned, the S&P average yields of about 1.6% or so. So we want to uh, get a bigger yield than the S&P. And then composite rating, this is another proprietary IBD rating, which encompasses both fundamental and technical factors. So we want those elite stocks. So a 90 or higher for exactly. this rating is what we want. Uh, totally. And the composite rating, I think, will give everyone listening uh, to this webinar uh, a distinct edge. And I really believe that. And the reason is the composite rating not only looks at earnings and sales, profit margins, the quality of the company's fundamentals, but it's also looking at the quality of the stock performance. It incorporates the relative strength rating. So if your relative strength versus the market is not good, you're not gonna have a good composite rating. So being in a 90 or higher is being part of an elite group of stocks. Now, this screen, this screen is very special because you also, you are ferreting out all the companies that do not in, uh, do not pay a dividend. A lot of the high growth companies out there that move very fast, move very dynamically, are they're putting all of their retained profits back into the business. They have no room to pay a dividend. This screen is really highlighting the companies that are innovating, growing, uh, have great uh, uh, performance in the market, and still pay the investors. Yes. Okay, well, now let's take a look at the screen results. There's seven, seven of these elite stocks, Dave. So which one should we highlight as an example? But yeah, you know, looking at this a little more closely, you can see that there are two share classes of uh, the Federal Agricultural Mortgage Company. Yes, uh, Farmer Mac, I think is, is his nickname. So in reality, there are just six. But this is still, I, I think, a really good group. Uh, I want to start the conversation by looking at Broadcom, A-B-G-O. And then if you can click on the chart, exactly. So let's, so we can see, wow, Broadcom over the long term, been fantastic uh, stock. Uh, Broadcom, you know, has that 2% plus yield. Uh, yep. And then let's go to uh, the weekly chart. You can see uh, that the yield 2.7%. And then uh, a little bit to the right, we can see some other very important numbers. For instance, cash flow. Let's look at cash flow. It's at the bottom of that middle. Yeah, exactly. Cash flow, $41.03 a share. This is an operating cash flow number. This is an annual figure. And you can see that in 2022, or, or fiscal 2020, uh, uh, 2022, which ended in October, the operating cash flow of $41.03 was higher than the earnings per share. That's a good sign of a company's fundamentals. You want to see really good cash flow because strong operating cash flow allows a company to pay, retain, or increase your dividend. Now you go up uh, uh, that little table there, you see the earnings stability factor is nine. That's on a scale of zero to 99. So the lower, the better at met our screen. Very rare for a tech stock. This is yeah. a company in the fabulous semi, uh, semiconductor space. And then finally, you have a five-year EPS growth rate of 15%. 
That's very solid for a company that's a mega cap, $284 billion in market cap. You can see that they have uh, some modest earnings growth ahead, but likely going to have excellent operating cash flow again. And you can see the stock has broken out of an IBD style pattern, which is the giant, well, we see a flat base, which is actually part of a longer, larger cup base. I kind of see that flat base as a long handle on mm -hmm. a even longer, uh, uh, deep, deep cup. So as you may know, chip stocks have had a great week this week. The NASDAQ looks poised for a fourth straight up week. The NASDAQ has been all out, the all out leader uh, in the Derby race for market indexes this year. And Broadcom is part of that. So if we go back to that weekly chart, I also want to highlight uh, a, a few more things. Let's see. Let me look at my notes here. AVGO is also number seven in the Big Cap 20. That's a, that's a screen that I actually uh, created with the help of Chris Gessel, our chief content officer, uh, and William O'Neill, the founder of IBD. And uh, it's really impressive when you can find a stock that up appears in multiple screens that are looking for growth as well as looking for income. So yeah. the fact that, yeah, Broadcom made the IBD Big Cap 20, a very elite list, is, is also uh, a positive. Now let's look at some of those other names uh, briefly, and then we're going to go through some other uh, screens. Uh, I want to look at INGR, Ali. That's Ingredion. That's a food play. They make ingredients for various food makers. You can see this stock has had a great 2023 uh, so far after breaking out of a double bottom base. A double bottom, you have two lows, but the second low undercuts the first low. That's a great shakeout of weak holders, and you have the strong holders coming in. You can see the stock has had uh, a nice move since then. Well, mm -hmm. earnings stability factor, eight, uh, eight on a scale of zero to 99. Uh, the cash flow, $10.87 uh, per share, much, much higher than what it earned in 2022, $7.45. The yield, 2.5%. The growth rate, not so great over the past five years, 1%. You know, But look what's going on now. They've got some uh, great earnings estimates going forward. 22% this year to $9.10 a share, and then up another 6%. So over two years, 28% earnings per share growth, pretty nifty for a, a mm -hmm. growth and income investor. Uh, let's yeah. also look at, uh, I want to look at Sanofi, S-N-Y, did a little research on them. <clears throat> this company um, had a terrific 2022. You can see the earnings uh, jumped a lot to $4.42 a share in 2022. So a little drop expected, a major drop actually, down 20 20%, but expected to rebound the following year. You can see that the composite rating right at 90, you've got um, a, a very low earning stability factor. You've got the 2.5% yield, uh, low debt to equity ratio. We like to see that. Uh, that's just underneath the cash flow figure. Debt, 36%. What that means on MarketSmith is that we, we take a look at the long-term debt over the past year and then divide that by the average shareholders' equity over the past two years. And if the, if the debt-to-equity ratio is under 100%, that means they're not very much leveraged. And that's good because rather than pay a lot in interest payments, they can pay a lot more in cash dividends. So you can see that this uh, stock Sanofi SNY uh, is now testing that 10-week moving average after its own breakout from a big cup with handle. Yes, it is. Any more to highlight here, or do we want to move on to the other screens? 
I think we should move on. All right, then let's move on. I'm going to switch screens. So as Dave mentioned, it's great when you see companies show up on multiple screens, but even if they're not on multiple screens, it's great to have multiple screens that you're looking at. So uh, that is what we are going to do now. So we have a data tables section on investors.com and that is where we are at now. And there's a number of dividend screens here, including dividend leaders, REIT leaders, and utility leaders. So we're going to go through each of these screens. So anything else to mention about screening before we dive into these? Ali, we can't disclose the exact criteria for these dividend, REIT, and utility leaders. But in general, what we've talked about is, is incorporated into these screens. So. Uh, a above uh, above uh, a, a yield that's above the S and P 500, signs of earning stability, so a low earning stability factor, uh, and decent relative strength. Okay, well let's get into it. So here's a look at the dividend leaders screen, updated daily at the end of each market day. So when you're going through this list, Dave, how do you determine which ones you want to take a closer look at? Yes, uh, I think uh, we won't spend too much on this one because I wanted to focus a little more time on the REITs and the utilities. Uh, we won't go to any charts here, but you can see that not all of them have these super huge uh, yields like MPLX or EPD. These are oil and gas plays. Um, some of these have been terrific companies without a doubt. Uh, you can, But you can see the point I want to make here is that uh, one, they showed the dividend growth on the right-hand pan on the on the right column there. You can see they're all positive. And two, the median EP, uh, the median yield uh, of this screen, when I looked at it a few days ago, was around, uh, I believe it was around 3.7, 3.8%. So that's uh, significantly uh, higher than the 1.6% we're getting for the S&P 500. Uh, you can also see that there is a variety of companies in biotech. We've got Gilead, which has been around quite a long time. We have those staples companies like Kellogg, Kimberly Clark. You could argue that the internet is a staple, right? It's a utility, mm -hmm. so no wonder Cisco Systems is in there. Uh, you got Flowers Foods, QSR owns Burger King, and you got Coca-Cola, Big uh, Buffett Holdings. So uh, I, I think it's up to everyone listening to sort of take a look at the charts and get a feel for... Uh, whether the company has potential for growth, or do they have good management, and does the stock uh, show that it can move like McDonald's, like we showed on, on the monthly chart? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, now moving over to the REIT leaders screen, Dave. Let's do that. Yeah. So uh, when I looked at this, uh, I this morning, I looked at the top five companies, and the top five companies uh, in include property, obviously property REITs, MFA, which has a 13% uh, yield, which is outstanding, right? But just keep in mind, this stock has had a lot of volatility as the other top five, because uh, why, don't we, why don't we go to a, a Marcus chart if we could? Sure. Um, yeah, let's, and we'll return to the screen. But I, I wanted to show uh, something that's interesting about, the, uh, about these REITs. So if we go to the Marcus and, uh, look at MFA and we could go to a weekly chart. That's fine. There you go. Uh, the COVID pandemic market uh, 
really showed let's see i wonder if we can there we go maybe there we go okay ah oh, perfect perfect there you go the covid pandemic market uh really was a gut punch to uh certain industries right restaurants uh malls uh, and therefore, some of these REITs uh, really took it on the chin and more. You can see that MFA has such a devastating move. It still has not recovered all of those losses uh, pre-pan, uh, all of those, uh, all of this share price pre-pandemic. Notice too that because the company lost money big time in 2020 and 2022, there's no earnings stability factor. We have an NA there. Okay, so these these are some risks that you have to to incorporate, even though you might be attracted to that 13.1% yield. Let's go to SRC. We'll stay on Marcus Smith here. Uh, this is the number two stock on that REIT leaders list. Look at that big drop, a 66% decline in 2020. I mean, that would scare anybody, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so scary. it's very scary. And, <laughs> you know, at the very bottom of that chart, maybe the yield was 60%. I don't know. But uh, currently the dividend yield uh, alley right now, 6.9%. Great. But uh, for whatever reason, earning stability is, is not calculable. I, I'm a little surprised by that because it didn't have any net losses. But in any case, you can see that the, there was some serious uh, damage to the stock. Let's go to GLPI, also in the REIT leaders. Uh, this is a gaming and leisure property. Obviously, the, the casinos were closed. Stock took a hit, 74% decline in 2020. Now, however, it's come back strong with the earnings, 10 stability factor, 5.9% yield. We'll, we'll look at one more, CTRE. This is Care Trust uh, Nursing Homes. Uh, they got rocked by the coronavirus bear market. Uh, however, this stock has come back really well. This one had a 70% decline, but the but after this nice little rebound here, 5.8% yield and a 15 earnings stability factor. So uh, you can see that uh, it's hard to predict the future. It's hard to predict what kind of calamity or recession will impact even these stable dividend payers. So I have to reiterate the importance of you know, paying attention to the overall chart action, the chart behavior stock, and also having a lot of patience uh, and intestinal fortitude. Yeah, well said there, Dave. Okay, now let's talk about utility leaders. Uh, maybe we don't need to go back to the screen, but uh, I, I mean, I can if you want me to, oh, but there's yeah, a, a short uh, yeah. list of stocks there. It's a very short list. It's amazing that right now it's kind of a bear market for good utility dividend stocks. We can stay on the, the market Smith chart, but I would like to go to the monthly chart and. Uh, you know, if you're writing these tickers down, we got five here for you to consider and look at. There are only five that made the list. This is very unusual. Usually we'll have 15, 20 that make the utility leaders. Uh, keep in mind, these are automated computer-driven screens. So there's, you know, once we've set the criteria, we don't interfere with it. Uh, and we're gonna start with SO Southern um, Company. Great, <clears throat> great, well-managed uh, utility. Uh, uh, I believe, I think it's based, based in Atlanta. But um, five earnings stability factor, 3.9% yield. This is the highest yield coming out of the utility leaders. So it's not that great, but it's still well above average uh, for, you know, uh, it's well above the uh, S&P 500. Um, and that monthly chart is one of the best. So mm. you can see that 
at the end of the 2009 great financial crisis bear market, uh, you've got a stock that basically uh, has gone from around you know 25 up to 80. So uh, really nice long-term capital appreciation on top of that uh, yearly yield that's giving you three or four percent, sometimes a little bit more. Right. Let's look at PEG uh, out of New York, I think. This is a public service enterprise, a $30 billion company in market cap, 3.7% yield, a three earnings stability factor, great monthly chart. Now let's go to NI. This is Nice Source NI out of New Jersey. I believe this is New Jersey. Uh, it's, a, it's a mid cap stock, but look at that tremendous run from 2009. Despite that big run, uh, a three earning stability factor, 3.6% yield. Uh, let's go to Consolidated, Consolidated Edison, which is ED. We got just two more here. Uh, this one has been a steady eddy, 3.4% yield, three earning stability factor, and the stock has quadrupled in price since 2000. So uh, that's a pretty darn good kager, if you will, uh, over a 20 to 23 year period. And finally, let's look at VST. This one did not show up in terms of uh, earnings stability factor. And I think it, you know, you can see by the big fluctuations in the stock chart on the monthly basis, uh, maybe it's had some uh, tough years in profitability, but 3.3% yield, uh, a very high debt to equity ratio. So that's a risk, 243%. That means their debt is more than three times their shareholders equity. So, um, that to me is a risk, and you can see the chart is is, is pretty wild. Uh, but I think all in all, it's interesting to me, Ali, that you're seeing the biggest share of dividend leaders in the actual dividend leader screen. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all the charts and whatnot. But one extra point I want to make that might actually answer a lot of people's questions is, why are we seeing chip companies make the dividend leaders? Well. Gary Dickerson, CEO at Applied Materials yesterday, uh, had a really great comment about the semiconductor uh, industry. AMAT did not make the screen. Uh, it, did, it, it didn't have all of these criteria, but he said, uh, Gary Dickerson, our longer term outlook is very positive as semiconductors become a larger and more strategically important market globally. Major technology inflections are enabled by materials engineering creating outsized growth opportunities for applied materials. So in other words, innovation, great management, new products, stronger earnings, more sales, really are, uh, really are allies in the dividend investor's corner. Great. Well, Dave, uh, let's now talk about a couple of questions or answer a couple of questions from the audience, one being, how much capital should traders be allocating to dividend stocks in their portfolios? That's a tough question, and it really depends on what you're, what you're seeking from the market, right? Uh, if you stick with these kind of dividend payers and you don't want to worry overnight about like how the stocks are doing, maybe you put more in these kind of stocks than you would in pure growth stocks. Uh, there's also, we, we haven't addressed this yet, but Clearly, money market funds, CDs are much more attractive now than they were a year ago. The, the three-month T-bill is you know, yielding more than 5% for institutional investors. That's incredible. On the retail level, we're getting 4 to 5% uh, yields uh, for you know, short-term deposits like that. But keep in mind, you're losing the potential for growth in dividends and the growth in the actual stock. Once you buy 
a bond, um, very rarely you're going to get some capital appreciation. You really focus on that yield. And Greg in the audience is asking, when selecting a dividend portfolio, is selection based primarily on technicals or fundamentals? I know we've spent this episode talking about both, <laughs> Dave, but yeah. so once stocks hit your screen, then how do you determine when to buy them? Obviously, you know, we, we want to buy low and sell high. That's our human nature, right? Um, and clearly over time, if you're very good at doing that, your overall return will be much higher. So I would say it is important to do, do pay attention to the state of the market. We issue a current outlook for stocks every day. And if we say that the market is in correction, you probably just want to sit and wait. Once we say that the market is in confirmed uptrend, gradually step into these dividend stocks and hopefully they're going to show some good positive momentum. And then what about sell rules for dividend stocks? How much room do you give these from the initial entry? I think you're trying to, I think you want to be like Buffett. You try never to sell if it, if it behaves well. Uh, we do have that 8% loss rule. That's our golden rule of investing. Uh, and that's primarily for growth stocks that are coming out of strong patterns. We want to control our risk always by limiting the potential loss in any stock. But I think with this strategy, uh, I think you can give it a little more leeway because hopefully you're really committed to holding these stocks for years, not for that quick three-week or three-month uh, gain. That makes sense. And Dave, what are your thoughts on dividend income ETFs? A couple of participants asking about that. That's such a great question. And unfortunately, I don't have any great answer for that. You could do some sort of uh, price-based comparisons of the ETF with the S&P 500. Uh, you know, right on that chart, for instance, uh, at the top right corner, you have that four black square uh, button on Marcus Smith. You click on that and you can type in uh, a, a dividend ETF that you're looking at and put in other tickers and compare the performance of price excluding the dividend payments that you're getting from the ETF and uh, look over six month, 12 month, three year uh, timeframes. You can do that on MarketSmith uh, and then make your decision. Great. And Gabriel in our audience is asking about Hershey, H-S-Y. And it's been a very strong performer in recent years, this one, the current mm -hmm. yield is roughly matching the S&P 500. So your, your thoughts on that, it would something like uh, Hershey be worth trading as a dividend stock if it's a yield is only matching the S&P 500 or should traders be treating this one a little differently? You know, uh, that's a fantastic question. And if we, if we look at the last three years, clearly it, 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 it feels more like a growth stock, not an income stock. And the fact is that because this stock has made that, you know, two and a half fold move over five years uh, is obviously going to push that dividend yield down to probably a level that is tantamount to the S&P 500 or maybe even lower. Hershey is an incredible company. I, I really got to tip my hat off. Uh, to the company and their management because they've obviously 
found ways to grow, even though they're a century old company or, or, or more. So I think it, the, the, the question of selling depends on your objectives, depends on how comfortable you are with holding the stock through its next inevitable correction. Because you can see that on the chart, Ellie, there are years where it, it goes into a deep freeze. Mm -hmm. All right. One more question here, Dave, and that is tax considerations for dividend stocks and uh, especially companies that are, are foreign companies. Anything to be thinking about that with these uh, dividend players if one is to be expecting to hold them for a number of years? Well, hopefully the, the foreign tax that you pay on foreign companies uh, you can use as a tax write-off. And I've seen that in my own accounts uh, before. So if you're paying tax on the dividends or tax uh, on the capital gains of that stock, usually uh, that, that could help you reduce your overall income tax. But I think in general, if you're having to pay tax on your dividend plays, that's a good problem to have. It is a good problem to have. And I said that was the last question, but one final one would be, how do you know when to sell? How do you know when, when to get out? When's the time to take the gain? Another million dollar question. And I think just like we can see in, in Hershey's stock market, uh, stock market action, even dividend stocks are going to fall during big bad bear markets. I do want to warn everyone that you, you know no no stock is safe in a bear market. So when when you have the ability to go to cash and raise a lot of cash and wait for the market to settle and then reinvest in dividend payers, I think that's a good thing. And reading IBD's big picture column, watching IBD live, getting insights from Barron's uh, top market commentators on how they feel about the market. All these things are very important. Um, I think we've been pretty spot on though in our uh, nearly 40 year history, Ali at IBD of spotting the major tops and the major bottoms. So uh, not to tout ourselves, but I think it is important to get the IBD take on what state of the market we are, are in and then make your actions. But once again here, you know, when we looked at Hershey, you can see that if you have that patience and you have that determination uh, to reap the benefits of a long-term hold in a good quality company with stable earnings, a rising dividend over time, and a, and a management that's able to keep the company new and fresh and innovating, I think in the long term, you're going to do really well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for all of your insights today. And I know the audience really appreciated it as well. Uh, I hope so. I, you know, we, we really uh, like our, our audiences at Barron's Live. And thank you again for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have, everyone. Please join us again next Monday for Barron's Live, where Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levison are speaking with Doug Pita, BCA Research's Chief Strategist, on his outlook for the market, industries, sectors, and individual stocks. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, everyone. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.